0: The American 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 The American 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 time of contrast we live in. Brilliant sunshine one day after absolute pelters the other. Uh, And of course the great contrast between the coronation with all its pomp and ceremony in London and the All Under One Banner march in Glasgow with 10, 15, 20,000 people basically putting independence back on the streets and uh, into at least some of the headlines. We discuss what that means for all the big parties uh, the SNP who didn't actually have any of their leadership representatives at that march uh, was that a bit of an own goal um, we discuss ALBA's approach to it uh, we look at Labour and their unwillingness to repeal the public order act which probably fueled many of those appalling arrests in London um, and of course then there's the Tories whose uh, lead now seems to have evaporated with the near certainty of some kind of Labour victory in May next year. If that's when the general election takes place. Those are the headlines. Now for the podcast.
1: Hi, chums, and welcome to this week's Leslie O'Brian podcast. And uh, I've emerged from a self-imposed uh, media blackout, uh, as have many folk have been over the last weekend. Uh, but I did did manage, unfortunately, to catch some sights in the. Penny Morden in what looked like a Poundland outfit uh, holding a sword up, which seemed to be the, the, the statement was that this she's going to be a great rival to Rishi Sunak because of her ability to hold a sword up. But yes, yes, it cor- did actually
0: remind me of, a, of a, as everything eventually does of a Mon- the Monty Python sketch, you know, where they're talking about sort of um, you know the, the the mighty sword Excalibur being kind oh of raised from yeah. the from the lake, and someone saying in in words that one cannot use in this podcast without it getting banned that this was no basis for a system of government. Yes. But um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the only bit, actually. That's the only bit I think I've seen as well, because I mean, I, I wrote a a Herald column about this, about just and actually, what about this sort of, just how customary and automatic it actually actually becomes that you anticipate pretty cleverly Mm -hmm. how long you need to stay off everything for to keep your blood pressure fairly normal. Actually, the Jubilee last year was a good sort of run-in because it gave you a week was probably probably about right. Um. And so yeah i mean just you, you can't listen to anything it's just every single aspect of it makes you want to hurl basically and, and just or hurl things um and actually this is not all right i mean, I mean we've all got to the stage that we you know that, that's a, this is more than half of scots i would say are either independent supporters republicans generally progressives i think that's a fairly safe thing to yeah. say actually so, I mean, half the Scottish population who pay a licence fee and all the rest of it have just got to actually quietly pull our horns in, d- disappear from what is meant to be national state, you know, media uh, and just do something else completely. And you'd have to say social media, probably for, you know, for a week every time there's a state event. And what is that saying? Because there's actually we now cannot participate in the big events of our supposed state you know and of course people will go well yeah you know I mean like yeah and and actually that's been going on for such a long time nobody thinks that's a biggie but it's a massive blinking biggie I mean again not sorry to labour the point but I was so struck coming back from Sweden that you know when I was there um, and given that it was just after a big uh, night for them, Walpurgis well, night, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that badly, which is the night before May the 1st. May the 1st is a big, big day in Sweden and Finland, actually all the Nordics. Uh, they, 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 there's a lot of flags up, just one flag. Yeah. You know, if I came back here and started noticing, uh, what again is actually the case, everybody knows it. Most civic buildings have two flags. You know, so it's kind of like we are stuck between two worlds here. And because Scotland doesn't have um, days off for St Andrew's Day or civic state functions uh, that, that are the equivalent or, as previously discussed, an honours list or anything that's in a, a kind of equivalent um, reflection, a cultural reflection of a state, we only have the option to be in British celebrations for which we with which we feel no Connection or allegiance, and quite the opposite. Or we just have to sit out on the on the benches. And so, actually, thank God for the All Under One Banner event because that let us all do something, you know, so that we were kind of almost marking the day in a way that was actually brilliant. I mean, of course, it poured with rain. (laughs) Mm. My God, it stayed off for most of the for most of the actual march. Uh, Which was quite something. And of course, got the little plucky hope up that, you know, it might be it might be just one of those good dry days. And as as people were kind of uh, just pouring into the park, into Glasgow Green for the speeches um, and just when everyone had properly assembled, there was just the most unbelievably torrential downpour which actually shorted the um, the Ugh. audio system, which had been so painstakingly put together by Bruno, uh, who also helps us with the Time for Scotland stuff. He's, I mean, beyond excellent as a kind of operator, but he and his guys and the, you know, the, all the cabling they'd done suddenly, bang, there was just that moment everyone dreads when you've got thousands of people in front of you, thousands more pouring into the park, and suddenly there's no audio. So... I've never seen somebody run around more like a blue arse fly than Bruno checking every one of about five or six, six massive speakers sitting up on stilts. So there was a ladder going up to check that one, a ladder going up to check the next one. And um, I mean, not so much that the crowd probably noticed because people were still pouring in and folk just started singing, actually, to kind of deal with it. Then the Shore Alba Pipers struck up and, you know, it was a great example of sort of, you know, of, of cheery self-help. Until finally, doggedly, um, they found the fault, got the thing jacked up again and the speeches you know, kicked off. So it was great, really great. I mean, a, a lot of people will have ifs and buts about everything in life. I've no ifs and buts about that at all. It was a great event. There was a big mixture of people. Um, the speeches at the end were interesting. Interesting that none of the Alba speakers basically put the boot into Hamza Yousaf not being there. Um and actually, I think a lot of people, perhaps with the point that was we raised last week with Michelle O'Neill going to yeah. the coronation, maybe a lot of people went well, whatever. But there was a feeling that Stephen Flynn and Ian Blackford, why were they there? You know, they they should have somebody mm-hmm. should have from that sort of front bench capacity should have been there actually, uh, and that would have that would have been quite a good big moment. But I guess you know, there's the thing. It's as soon as you've got a, a, a kind of Alex Salmon there um as as a kind of frontline alba speaker then that seems to be well i don't know who knows what the thinking of yeah. of the snp is but of course there were snp speakers uh present there was ash Regan and joanna cherry of course they were the ones in the leadership yes. context who were the most critical of the snp leadership so you don't that doesn't get the snp leadership off the hook that um you know people who were essentially quite critical of them we're the only ones there to represent the SNP. And I mean, just come on. It's just, you, you know, I don't know if the S, if if Hamza, I'm sure it must be a tough gig being him, but, you know, there's, there's so many points that need proving at the moment. And uh, one certainly is that this business of being an activist FM is something serious. And if it is, you have to deploy your people accordingly. So if you can't come, you just have to tell them you know, they can't come and they're going to that rally and you've got to mobilise the SNP to go.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it it was George Keravin, I mean, he, he said exactly the same as you. He thought that the raw energy of the Yes movement definitely looked back. And it that the march passed the credibility test you know that would anybody's turn up and they definitely did what he did notice and I mean I'm not certain of having been on the, the Dundee one he said there was a possibility of sNP banners and I don't know if they were ever that prevalent i mean and if there were there were a very few sNP if any banners is that such a bad thing you know I mean that's from my from my perspective what he did also well, say d- i think yeah,
0: that's yeah. I think that's true and I think the thing is that well all under one banner has been through various phases and there's moments where some of the people in, ch- in charge of it have tweeted some things that have been completely mm. unacceptable for SNP supporters uh it's great when everybody is able to exert a little bit of self-discipline because it enables people to sort of come into the tent now whether or not uh, up until then there's still been a suspicion about all under one banner that that rally possibly has helped dissipate you know that's a possibility yeah. But then having had the same experience with Time for Scotland that has, I can tell you, very careful tweeting control <laughs> <laughs> um, and which has no past record. Well, you know, we were a new group on the 23rd of November, essentially, and perhaps that would count it against us. We still had no SNP banners. So uh, in, th- there's a point here where and this actually I think this does showcase the, the situation completely. You can't have this uh, pick and choose thing where if that's what the SNP leadership think they're doing, that they're going to pick and choose the events that they think are safe enough for them to go to. You know, that's just not it. Uh, the, the ones which are popular are the ones that you really have to fall in with um, and talk to people. It it kind of helps. So uh, I, I absolutely should be SNP banners because the yes banners are there absolutely in their multitudes, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but switching back, I mean, uh, it's one of the the. Well, I was actually quite uh, quite taken with the uh, the fact that the all under one banner uh, left Glasgow Green in pristine condition, and I compared and contrasted that with a mess. And I never pronounced this properly. You'll be able to help me, Leslie, with your BBC background. Is it the mall or is it the mall? In London, I'm never, never. I think it seems to be
0: the mall. Uh, the mall,
1: yeah. yeah. So yeah, they, they left it in an awful mess. The other thing to to take a look at is the the policing that took place, and uh, we we've spoken on the podcast before about the Public Order Act, uh, which was which was passed uh, uh, just recently, and that was the first use of it, I believe, with these theoretical lock on devices that uh, the Met arrested six members of Republic uh, on the basis that they 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 suspected that what they had with them were going to be lock-on devices and they were going to disrupt this uh, very very special occasion despite the fact that the these uh, people from Republic had actually negotiated and discussed with the Met for months beforehand about uh, engaging in peaceful protest and uh, they were nicked uh, they were arrested and lo and behold today released without charge and i believe that Graeme smith uh from republic is not accepting the apology and he's going to take legal action
0: yes and i mean it's, it's a ridiculous situation but i mean as we i think we talked about with the uh when we were talking about rishi sunak you know trying to exclude potential awkward squad members of the scottish press from his wee huddle yeah. after the conference um that looked likely to be connected to a preceding event which was the utterly ludicrous spectacle of puffing running cops <laughs> running through the streets of London in a North Korean style uh, kind of evacuation of the streets so that the solitary car carrying the precious could actually move through the streets unimpeded by humans um, and I, I mean that was just so unprecedented this kind of you, you know weird motor American style motorcade type you know behavior in the, in in London you've got to see that there's a there's a sort of pattern here of just complete blooming paranoia now because London is a vibrant mixed city that doesn't support the Tory policies on practically anything. And I mean, people keep forgetting this, you know, when we castigate London as the head of all, you know, Mm. well, let's be honest, Westminster, right? Um, You know, the actual city of London is generally a progressive anti-Tory Pro-migrant, if you like, or sort of, you know, can't think quite quite the word, but, you know, accepting of a mixed population because it is a mixed population. So that's the London that they've got on their hands. Um, it's also probably very pro-green and as, as we're probably going to come on to, you know, areas in, in just around London have actually gone green, unbelievably, mm-hmm. in, ter- in the local elections. So there's, there's a focus, you know, on the Extinction Rebellion stuff being most active there, the Stop the Motorways people. So they've had all that protest because they're sitting, they're actually sitting with an unloved and unvoted for London, uh, Westminster government in the middle of a city that, that thinks otherwise. Uh, so these, it's no wonder these guys are getting jumpy, but I mean, it's utterly ludicrous because just as you say, these guys had done everything by the book in terms of liaising with the police and so on. And the question now, and apparently there will be an emergency question raised in the Commons today about this, um, is that quite evidently there was pressure on the police to arrest yeah. And that was, you know, whatever anybody wants to say about that. And the, the Met are sort of denying that this was a case uh, officially. But several behind the scenes cops have given off the record statements to London journalists suggesting that there was huge pressure on them to have arrests of well to have arrests and of anybody that looked like they were going to be awkward. And the evidence of that is the rushing through of the Public Order Act last week w- before mm-hmm. schedule so that that was all done hyper fast. Why was that done hyper fast if it was not to be used? And what signal would that send to the police that the basically the state is rushing through stuff that lets you lift anyone who looks like they might lock on um, other than exerting pressure? So it's, it's a it's a terrible situation for them, because with all the terrible situations that have already occurred within the Met, with with women having no confidence in their policing, with the discovery of just ingrained misogyny, racism, the full nine yards in that force. They've now got to add on to this that just the, the quite cynical removal from the streets of people who were simply going to exercise their democratic right to protest. Uh, so and then you've got a set against that. I mean, it, it really is like two different worlds on the All Under One Banner uh, march. I don't really I can't really remember seeing police anywhere because, of course, it is incredibly well stewarded and it always has been self, if you like, self-policing. And happily, Police Scotland, I mean, I hope I'm i am not corrected by things I couldn't see elsewhere in the march, uh, you know, are there, but just stand right off. Uh, so, I mean, it's like two different worlds now. We can organise a big march with, you know, you can argue 10, 15, 20,000, I don't know, uh, don't and, and there's no harm in it. And basically all you get are, you know, the biggest problem you got is the inevitable stumbling over the two wee dugs that you know, you're you <laughs> always just, I don't yes. know what it is about me, but I'm always behind two oh, wee dugs. No. You're um, and then folk hanging out of windows, you know, kind of with yeah. their brilliant signs and everything like that. It was cheery, you know, and actually we didn't actually even have the usual encounter with uh, the unionists because they waited till after the demonstration because obviously they were watching the actual gig. Um, So that was a sad little affair, which, uh, trilling back to George Square, tens of thousands of yesers were just walking past the kind of 20 people, perhaps, Mm -hmm. from that uh, kind of unionist demonstration. And then there was some bizarre, uh, in the middle of it all, some bizarre sort of semi-council something or other. Again, we missed that because we were off at Glasgow Green, which does keep raising questions. I mean, look, this is how stretched Civic Scotland is that you know, that that a council has to decide to do something like this when, you know, the bulk of its people would actually also be questioning deeply whether the coronation needed to happen at all. I mean, in the sense of there's every every country that's got a a monarch in Europe uh, manages to have them uh, sort of put into place without needing a £100 million ceremony. Generally, the majority of new kings or queens and there's a a tiny remnant to a, a rump of them there's 27 countries in the eu 21 are republics of the other six half of them just get the king or queen to turn up in their parliament you know democratically elected to swear an oath to that so you know there's nobody does the, with a fandango that went on the ludicrous over the yeah. top fandango that we go in for and then it ripples out so that through gritted teeth uh, councils that have no interest in in any of this have to rule out their official uh, events, complete with lord lieutenants and all sorts of hangers-on that that n- you never see the light of day most of the time until there's something civic, essentially unsupported, unloved, unrepresentative of this country, and suddenly it gets cranked out in our civic squares. So anyway, happily, we were somewhere else at the time, didn't have to get all hot and bothered about that. Yeah. But it was... Very telling how you know how as usual, there was just the same sort of twenty people there always is in these marches. So, you know, fair play to them.
1: Yeah. And before we go on to to look at the the, the Labour Party's response in general to the coronation and in particular, I don't know if you saw it, Keir Starmer's utterly sycophantic uh two and a half minute video uh where he stood in front of two union flags and and sucked up to the monarchy and uh, finished with saying, God save the king. One of the things that did did penetrate with me was the arrest of Westminster Council women uh, with the rape alarms, you know, under the spurious excuse that these could be used to frighten horses. Horses that were quite prepared to actually trot through thousands of people chanting and cheering, Jets flying past, etc. So I mean, that, given the the Met's record, I thought mm. to to actually arrest women who are giving out giving out rape alarms anyway. But yes, the Labour Party response, which David Lammy was the first one to come out when he was questioned about this, when he said that uh, it was not the intention of the Labour Party to unpick every single piece of Conservative legislation they were going to go on with the really big issues. Well, I would say, David, uh, um, you do have a record of not unpicking uh, Conservative Party legislation. When we go back to 1997, not one piece of anti-trade union legislation brought in by the Thatcher government was repealed by the New Labour government. And Lisa Nandy refused to say, uh, refused to deny that fact again when she was questioned this morning. So it does place the Labour Party in a very, very interesting position uh, when we, we talk about electoral possibilities, in that they they seem to be willing to go along with uh, legislation that they opposed in Parliament, but are not prepared to uh, get rid of if and when they come to power.
0: Indeed. And I'm, I'm saying in The National that um, Neil Finlay, uh, who I'll be on with at uh, the i write book festival he's also he's got a book out my book thrive is literally being printed today so <laughs> <Yay. laughs> uh, finally finally so the two of us are sort of up kind of i guess against each other but however mm. it's it's run in the i write book festival in may and there's you know stuff on social media if you want to get a ticket but um i but but neil who obviously was a labor msp for 10 years um is saying that lamy is living in cloud cuckoo land if he thinks not repealing these kind of legislation the public order act will win labor an election and um he's he's kind of uh, actually i think monica lennon has also said yes. that members should make their voices heard um the only way to win an election is by being bold and progressive y- y- the thing is uh, it's hard to it's actually hard to know because it bold, the only way to win an election in Scotland actually is to reflect the sort of mm-hmm. you know views of, of the average Scot. So it's yeah, that's going to give you a problem in Scotland. I don't know if it's gonna give them a problem no. in England. Yeah. And there was interesting polling done I noticed last week, which was looking at uh you know, this the state of play of things and asking whether the Labour Party was basically too right wing. And it was extraordinary. Only about eight percent of respondents said that they felt that. So, despite all the kind of you know shimmying around, if 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 um, Keir Starmer is looking at those that polling, he's going to see that you know you can't hug the flag enough yeah. for for the kind of people they're looking for. It's not denting them. However, when they were asked about Rishi Sunak, I think there was something like 18 to 20% felt that he and the the the, the Conservative Party were too right wing. So, uh, you know, there's there's the shock horror bit of it as far as where the centre, you know, the Middle yes. England balance sits. And it is that this this is all kind of seems to be passing over the majority of people. However, um, the council elections, once again, though, did, did suggest that in particular seats, you know, people are now disquieted. So your average Joe and Josephine may not be registering deep, worry about the Labour Party but then that doesn't explain how the Greens have ended up with mid Suffolk which I had to look for on the map actually because I am don't know my English geography well enough um first you know there they are they're running that council and they're the largest party in a neighbouring council the Lib Dems you know did pretty well such that Ed Davey has felt bold enough to call for a vote of no confidence in um, them yeah in Rishi Sunak <laughs> the, the, yeah. this afternoon. Good luck with that one. Yeah. um So but the point nonetheless is, and of course, there's a big track record of this exactly this happening. If you're old enough, folks, you've seen it all, uh, particularly with the Lib Dems. Um, what happens is they do well in in uh, local elections. And as soon as you get to a general election and the polarization of forces, that sort of melts away. And you find yourself with, you know, less of a stushy than you'd expected. But nonetheless, here we are. You know, it's not. It's not obvious how the election is going to play, except that obviously the Tories look now that they're going to lose. The question would be whether Labour has got enough welly and whether somehow people can get over the continuing lack of kind of fondness, really, for Keir Starmer to actually get a, a majority in their own right. Or whether they'll need support from one of the other parties, the SNP being a potential one, mm-hmm. but obviously the Lib Dems or somebody that just Disney bike quite so much being probably preferable.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that, that seems to be the position because Stephen Flynn was questioned about this this morning when he said his three priorities. And, and I noted the priorities. He talked about uh, uh, the the cost of living being, uh, being he, that was the first thing he talked about. The second thing he talked about was developing closer links with the, with the EU and the reversing of elements of Brexit. And then he talked about the Section 30 order. And I thought that sequencing was not unintentional. He was then questioned about the fact of uh, what, what if Labour turned round and say no. And he did say that, you know, and it was a, I thought it was a fair point, but I'm not actually sure quite, quite how it's going to work out, was that uh, Sir Keir Starmer is so desperate, so desperate to become prime minister, he'll say yes to anyone that gets him over the line. Because it, it, John Curtis came up with the fact that Labour has stayed steady from the 2022 local elections. It's the Conservatives who are five points down. Mm-hmm. And when Wes Streeting was on on uh, Sunday, he was asked about what well, the success of the Lib Dems, the success of the Greens, he came out with the the, the reason why the Labour Party will always stick to the first-past-the-post system and says, ah, well, you see, when it comes to a general election, people will have to make that choice, and the choice will be between Labour and Conservative, and at that point, people will revert back to Labour because it's a slightly worse choice, a slightly better choice than than voting uh, voting Conservative for those who are progressive.
0: Yeah. Um, but just coming back to the, the what Stephen Flynn had said, and it seems to be, you know, that's it, it, the line that's coming out through through various uh, bits about the SNP leadership. I mean, this talk of trying to kind of essentially reverse aspects of Brexit, um, mm. I don't see how that's, I mean, that's I, that's not possible. <laughs> um, it, you know, the, you, you need to do a big one with that. Like you need to, if you're really going to get anywhere, You need to apply to join the single market, to join the halfway house, like Norway, Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Switzerland. Um, Nope, Switzerland's not in it. Uh, So those three, that's what you have to do, which is kind of like it's going to happen over their dead bodies. They're just not going to do it. OK, maybe there'll be some sort of bid put to sort of rejoin particular um, schemes, maybe like Erasmus. And there's Horizon, I think, the academic funding one. Um, again, there's been a lot of pressure to, to do both of those, but I, I'm not sure that that even is going to be very easy and it's not going to be big enough, probably for the yeah. average person to feel any benefits from the big disbenefits that have resulted from Brexit. So it strikes me that these are sort of. That these are the lines that the, the SNP will attempt to use to to draw a distinction between themselves and Labour in the election. So these are being flagged up because they are they do you know they are things that cannot be done if you like. Yeah. Mm. Um, the L- Labour is there's no obviously uh, Keir Starmer's stuff is that he's straight on to dealing with the cost of living crisis. That in what he said <clears throat> he's got you know plans immediately to give every local authority. an an emergency budget or something to sort of basically turn around the local level of what they're up to. I'm not here to be a Keir Starmer um, mouthpiece, but you know, that's, that's already pretty much on their agenda. You'd need to get much more focused on what you want to see happening. And of course for the SNP, there's always the danger that that begins to make you look like a British party again. I mean, this, this is the difficulty for, for a lot of people um, putting that Putting the independence referendum third. Okay, we get that there's half the population not in favour of independence, and there might be, uh, you know, a, a larger majority who don't want it sort of immediately. Not that that's what getting a section 30 power is about. It's about having the power to ha- to to choose the right time to have the referendum. But um, I don't know that this will end up being the kind of, uh, you know, totally appealing cocktail that of policy that that can can really get you through the next election because there's too much trailing at the moment. Um, Having spoken, I was at my cousin's uh, wedding as well last week, which was very jolly and sat, spoke to quite a few uh, folk from the islands. Actually, by gum, are they angry? Mm. I mean, beyond angry. Uh, They still support independence, but touch. I don't think they're going to be voting SNP. And and this is the point. It's like a miss is as good as a mile. And when you've got a situation still where the whole nobody understands why there hasn't been more forceful resolution of the ferry situation, now we've got a absurd situation where the company run by Andrew Banks uh, crossing the Pentland Firth gave, gave well, you know, they were getting paid for it, but gave their catamaran to I think it was Aaron to try to use that. It's going through trials at the moment because it's a different kind of Ship, So it has to make sure that it can use the same link spans that the old uh, uh, kind of high boats mm-hmm. use that are Calmax style. Um, but in the meantime, the reserve boat, which was their first boat originally, but then they went off and bought this extraordinarily large 14 million pound uh, uh, catamaran that I've been on many times, actually, across to Orkney. That's the one that's gone down to the West Coast. The stand in one then ran aground, uh, I think, on Swinner, a little island in the firth. And that's caused it to go out of commission. So now we haven't just got the blinking Western Isles stuck with terrible non-ferries and unreliable services. As they come into the months where they need to make money <laughs> with all the with tourism, because you know it's a it's a limited season still for a lot of those islands. But we've now got Orkney, two weeks with no ferry. That ferry. There is obviously the the well, I'm calling it Northlink one. It might be now uh run by different folk, but the big one that goes from Scrabster. But still, it's a blinking nonsense. And, you, you know, the, the other underlying thing is that all the problems that have just been endless, which are still housing for crying in an actual bucket, they just don't seem to have got any better at all. And it's the same thing. If you're not going to do something structural and bold to release land or pump money yeah. into the right places to get ho- house building going you, you, and, and make it affordable and keep it with a burden within the title deeds that means it doesn't drift off into becoming a second home after its first purchase, then you, you know, you're going to end up with a bunch of people who just think, what is the point of all of this? Because nothing really has changed. So I, I don't know if the SNP, well, I'm sure they must be, but they're not showing any signs of realising how much they need to change gear, particularly for Highland Scots. But I mean, I would say pretty much across the piece. And then for everybody who was at that demonstration, yeah, they got used to just not seeing anybody from the SNP at it. And I've said, as I've said before, there might have been you know, a reason for Hamza Youssef not being there uh, on this occasion. But You've got to now start really thinking differently.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it is that whole thing. I mean, George Kederman suggested, even at the, the very least, Hunza Yusuf should have recorded a, a video message, you know, to actually say, I may be down here doing my duty as First Minister, but here yeah, well, that's,
0: I am. Yeah, well, that's all very well, but that then would mean, you know, and this is having done this, that would then mean <laughs> that you're, there wasn't a video facility there. There weren't right. big screens. So then you would have to be, yeah, that's great. So then, sort of voluntary groups have then got to change their entire thing and find big screens big enough to be seen by fifteen thousand people, so that Hamza Youssef can put through a a message. I mean, it's just it's not okay. Uh, What you've got to do is talk to people, and um, you've also got to think that you you send somebody, and then the other point would be, I was invited to speak. You know, other people were invited to speak. Um, So you you do get to a point where you can't actually just decide at the last minutes that you're going to assert somebody, as it were. (laughs) Yes. In the running order. And that also means that you've got to develop a relationship. So this has got to change. Anyway, I drift back to a point previously made onwards, my dear.
1: Yes, yeah, because I mean the the, the other thing I mean I am listening to Stephen Flynn this morning. There seemed to be uh, Pete Wishart that he suggested in a blog that the de facto referendum, uh, the next general election, was the way to go. Whereas Stephen Flynn was was putting down the line that you've got to get. You've got to get as many SNP MPs as possible to hold Labour's feet to the fire in order to gain the Section thirty order and to engage in more progressive policies. I mean, it will all depend, I think. I mean, because as John Curtis said, it's on the it's on the cusp of whether will Labour will come a, a majority or a minority government and it definitely looks as if that's that's what's going to happen yeah but you I'm can't like, you
0: can't have a this is you can't have a strategy like this you're trying to yeah. second guess some what other people's success rates are going to be and this is the kind of you know over cleverness that the devil's the snp to be honest there's a lot of people there i mean I, I i was sort of slightly round the back after i came off the stage i was in the wrong place to hear alex salmon's speech because he was straight after me but I'm pretty sure he, he was talking as were they all about you know the need for unity and okay it's, it was helped by the fact that, the, that their official speakers were not sticking the boot in yeah but what they were calling for was to get a move on with the constitutional convention that's been half talked about and never done now you know there's there's a, a stage here where what's needed is a strategy not something that is just you know whether somebody feels like it this day and next week and it's different because the polls have changed for Labour, so it doesn't look like we do this and that. No, we've got to get a strategy together that is pulled together by the people who care about independence. And um, what, what most people, having stood then in the crowd, also getting it after my speech for, uh, you know, the bulk of the speeches and the music that followed, uh, a lot of people coming up to speak. And the main thing that people brought up was they want to see that constitutional convention happen. So, that's what you know let's just say that's now what what needs to happen and you know in the past Nicola might have got away with saying one thing and not doing another thing because you know it it was well people were her party particularly were prepared to put up with that uh, because of the visibility that she mm-hmm. gave but is now in a position where he hasn't got that visibility to offset the kind of promises that don't get realized So, you know, something has to happen with this because it's sitting. Otherwise, this is sitting for, you know, brewing towards a lot of dissatisfaction still with the SNP that they don't seem to be conscious they are stoking. Yeah.
1: Well, what, what we've also got is that it was clear and obvious from Craig, your friend Craig Hoy's interview on Good Morning Scotland that the, the Conservative Party in Scotland will not be fighting on any other issue except the constitution. I mean, that was a direct appeal. He said, if you're a unionist voter, what you've got to do is uh, that trumps everything. You've got to vote conservative. So we see the line that they're going to be taking up here. It's all about independence and it's all about the constitution.
0: Yeah, and if anybody does think that Craig is my friend, just because you can't always be a. uh, That was just a little reference to an exchange in a debate night where he sort of seemed to fall asleep while I was asking him a question. So, anyway, (laughs) uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, totally. I mean, it will. And this is the problem for for the SNP. It will just be, you know, this is going to be 2017 all over again at this rate, where the Tories will always make an election about independence because their policies stink. You know, nobody, <laughs> yeah. hardly anybody supports, especially with that, with you know, the, the their their the party from which they will not detach themselves. Uh, you know, the mothership in Westminster cruising cheerfully off to the far right, um, and. I mean, now, even even sort of right wing commentators utterly appalled at what happened in London over the weekend. Yes. So, you know, the the, the kind of loss of civil rights uh, and the loss of the feeling of liberty within London is uh, is absolutely palpable. Um, That's and and of course, you just stick down all the long list of uh, of kind of all the other failures to deliver on any useful policy front you've got that sitting at the back of you so the tories here will never go on domestic policy because they've got nothing to say about it so you can decide that you don't want to put independence first front and center i'm not suggesting by the way that that is where the SNP's at but if there's even the slightest thought that of that it's never possible never ever ever because it's the only reason the tories will get any votes so they will always have it on the table if it's on the table, is it the same old kind of same old, same old offer of a sort of, you know, this is what we believe in, and there's, you know, is there still this difficulty? We've gone through a lot lately, and to feel that all that we come up with is another sort of so-so call for everybody to yeah. back the SNP in the hopes that they can persuade the London government you know hold their feet to the fire if I ever hear that phrase again <laughs> uh over things that they cannot possibly will not politically give any inch on like you know improved relations with the EU that's just not going to cut it to use somebody else's phrase um so yeah it's 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 awfully poor.
1: Yeah, and meanwhile, this was the first uh, election in which the new voter ID, yet another, let's put it this way, I'm going to put it nicely, a restrictive practice introduced by the, the Conservative government based on the fact that there had been a total of one, one case of personation in the, f- I think, 50 odd million votes that were cast over the past few years. And it, there were 20 times number that number of people turned away in one ward alone down in England and uh, the voter ID I mean that is coming for the for the next election as well and I, I tried to troll through the figures you know just to see what voter turnout was like and comparing and contrasting uh to see if that could be some kind of measure you know, you know limited though it may be about what impact it would have and I know notice the electoral reform society has already started collating anecdotal evidence of people being turned away I mean for wrong ID would you believe someone turning up with a photo ID of a police warrant card you know a semi-police officer with photo id no that's not acceptable a nurse with an nhs photo id that's not acceptable and people were being turned away willy-nilly at at the at the the electoral uh electoral places and there were over the reckon two million people lacked appropriate photo ID, a grand total of eighty five thousand applications before the local election deadline. I mean I would humbly suggest to the SNP and the Labour Party if they're listening, uh if you actually want to ensure that the some way, shape, or form a fair representation of the, the type of person who would be excluded in the Electoral Reform Society is, is pretty nearly mouthed in that. But it's been very directed with people from a poorer or working class backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds who are going to be excluded from this. I would actually start to see a campaign to get people registered to get the appropriate voter ID, which can be gained through government, um, through government sources.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it, it to kind of do that, also, I suppose. Also, though, sort of feels like it's legitimising this appalling, uh, you, you yeah, restrictions that on voters that's going ahead. But then, what do you? What else can you do? Yeah. And given that the next election Scotland may well be in May, uh, next May, a year, the next general election, yeah. it will be fought on Westminster rules, and that blasted voter ID will doubtless operate in Scotland. I think. Yeah. Will it? Yeah, because oh. even though I think we get control over 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 obviously how Hollywood elections are run, but yeah, it's it's their shout. So you know we we do need people to get to get that registration. Um, and and actually I'm saying this, and I don't even know particularly how to do it because obviously it didn't affect us this time. So yeah, we we will have to do something about that. But and many things, you know, that that's part of the strategy. This is where if you had everybody coming together, you would get a wholehearted strategy between yes groups the yes parties and you know that that would seem to be ideal something that is different you know a different approach
1: yeah and and meanwhile uh, uh, this shows you how i spent my sunday which i that I've watched uh, Lucy Fraser, the the culture secretary. I think people will remember her. She's the one who, in her maiden speech, made the joke about Scots being sent as slaves, for which she subsequently apologised. Which is right up there with the Met apologising, as far as I'm concerned, for their for their inappropriate arrests of the rep- the demonstrators from the Republic. She was actually saying, and she stated quite clearly, she was in charge of the BBC. And uh, what was going to happen would be that the best person would be, be appointed to be head of the BBC under the the conditions that she was going to lay out. And it, it started me thinking, because we, we've spoken about this before, but along with this repressive legislation such as voter ID, along with... Uh, the Public Order Act, along with the illegal migration bill, there's been a slow, slow drip, drip and insinuation and insertion of these right wing values into broader society through public appointments. And if anybody wants to point the finger at ah, it's Boris Johnson, no, this dates back to the a hoodie David Cameron days, where he commissioned a report by subsequently be the Baron Grimstone. And. Um, to uh, embed greater political input into public appointments. So what's what's happened there is people are aware of it. Richard Sharp, yeah, the man closely involved in getting Boris Johnson alone, the head of Ofcom, the head of the Charity Commission, the Public Appointments Commissioner, the man who was charged with actually examining public appointments, William Shawcross, he had to resign and recuse himself from the inquiry into Richard Sharp because he was associated with Richard Sharp, And just to keep it in the family, his daughter is head of the the, policy research unit for Rishi Sunak. There's been nine new chairs of public bodies since 2021. Eight of them are Tories. And along comes a new report that people... Won't have heard about, done by another Conservative baron, Francis Maud of of, of memory. Uh, a pre, yes, yeah, exactly, came to say about Francis Maud. And what he's done, he said, we've got to stop being mealy-mouthed about political appointments and affiliations to the civil service. So there you have it. When you actually get the narrative being propagated by the Conservative Party um, across the across both the right, left and theoretical uh, elements of the Conservative Party across the party, there is a anti Brexit, a liberal elite operating within the service who are determined to stop conservative policies being enacted. Not because they're appalling policies and unworkable, but because they're purely conservative policies. What Francis Moore is actually proposing is an extension of what happened with the appointment of Simon Case. Simon Case, who was proposed by uh, Dominic Cummings and who has been at the centre of every single mess-up and every single crisis that the civil service has faced—for for example, his lack of uh, advice to Boris Johnson about the parties, his taking part in parties, his forgetting that he'd, he'd actually spoken to Richard Sharp about the loan—so every stage, this political appointment, which was clear with Simon Case, was promoted well beyond his ability and well beyond his seniority in the civil service, specifically because he would David tilt. That is the proposal that is going going forward with Francis Moore, and if it's anything like what happened surreptitiously through the grimstone report where we found this politicization and of public appointments all in in favor of the conservative party watch out what's happening to the civil service and we may criticize the civil service but they are in charge of maintaining the state in that sense and if you actually politicize to that extent it's going to get even worse Within the framework of the way the UK is going as a state.
0: Well, and because the the, the other thing that isn't to all of that is that an awful lot of these guys you mention, um, and I'm not 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 I'm not sure that that. that off offhand, I always take the Baron, the Lord, the some, Sir, something, and just take it off people's names, because it's a lot of nonsense. Mm-hmm. But actually, and I think it's true that Richard Sharp isn't yet
1: no, not elevated.
0: Yet. <laughs> Neither, I think, is Simon Case, although he might be. But, you know, the, the extraordinary thing with most of these dudes is that they are, I mean, actually, he's the son of Eric Sharp, Baron Sharp of Grimsdyke. So they're, <laughs> They if they, they themselves will end up in the House of Lords, inevitably, uh, because so that that means that even if they fall out of power in terms of the civil service, they're in power. You know, they're still in the second largest unelected chamber in the world outside China are, you know, a, a, a forum which has has is supposed to uh, get people to come forward with uh, declaring their interests but has vast proportions of them that, for example, are, are involved in running um, care care companies mm-hmm. or private health care companies. And and so it's not just the thing of, you know, the, the way that they are skewing a civil service into becoming a politicized arm of Tory government. But they're basically in the same way as Trump was able to in his appointment to the Supreme Court. He was able to essentially interfere with politics long after he'd gone by the kind of person he put in that would then be there for lifetime tenure. These guys are in for life. You know, so once they get bumped up and they get gongs or whatever else it is that just pumps them into the House of Lords, they they, they never leave. So all of those <laughs> attitudes are carted into the House of Lords that just keeps getting bigger to accommodate the number of Tories that are getting chucked out of various bits and parts of government. And then you listen to anything um, you listen to any d- discussion about the the public realm in England and when you get somebody popping up whether it is somebody representing a health board or the, the chair of the, the NHS you know I can't think of their structures quickly enough they're always got a title so they 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 have been given that backhand And again, that's one UK, the Labour Party is committed to some sort of change in the House of Lords. But given the backsliding there has been on, I don't don't think that's for for sort of tenure one, is it? That's kind of somewhere down the road. But it's just all appalling. (laughs) So, yes, you can't get shot of these folk. They'll just pop up somewhere else. Just wait for it. The Honourable Richard Sharp will pop up somewhere else, given a title like his dad. And he'll basically be sitting in the seat. Which has been kept warm for him.
1: Yeah, and it kind of brings us back to the coronation there, because one of the major aspects of it that is often forgotten about, which is which, which, if anybody paid attention to it, I did from that to that hands of a distance, was the fact that it is a religious ceremony. It is the uh, it is the installation of the monarch as the head of the Church of England and anointed as such. And what we've always got to remember is that uh, we we along I think with the. Iran are the only two countries which actually have religious representatives, the Lord's spiritual, who are Church of England archbishops in the House of Lords, actually sitting there, engaging in debate and engaging in voting on uh, political futures. So it is embedded within that framework. And and I I do know that within the House of Lords, uh, despite my distaste for it, they, they've actually been progressive on some issues, but it does actually just actually throw into sharp relief the utter stupidity and outmodedness of having the House of Lords and having the Lord's spiritual sitting in there deciding on our futures.
0: Yeah, actually, um, Kyle Arnott got in touch with us, a listener, um, to say that he assumed it would be talking about the monarchy and had a letter published in The National pointing out that actually Scotland has historic precedent of somewhere between a monarchy and republic um, in that during the wars of independence, Scotland chose a guardian to lead the nation um, and that independent Scotland could choose to retire the current royal family and elect a guardian again, um, which is okay. except Mm -hmm. it wasn't really the people that were choosing much in the wars of independence. Let's be honest, it was, you know, it was the nobles. And I think we're past that now. Uh, Also. It seems to me that this question of, you know, what should we do, head of state, monarchy, whatever, that actually has to sit within a general look at what constitution we have. It's typical, classic Britishness, actually, to just have your eye caught by, you know, the the personality-related mm-hmm. single issue, but from here on in you know that they these questions have to be integrated because this is we need a a wholehearted approach to a constitution not one that just bolts things in sort of as and when it catches the eye and uh, again this is one that that could be being done in a slow methodical way by a citizens assembly right now and that would be the, the logical sensible way to do it with people the people who are randomly selected being the ones who call forward uh, experts to make a decision about what we do in terms of how to elect a head of state. And it would be a lovely thing just for once to see that kind of progressive approach to how we solve a problem done in enough time to have a result. But that seems to be still what worries the SNP. It'll be a result that will come in before the general election. And it might be one that they're sort of scared of endorsing. So I suspect we ain't going to see that. And then, of course, you draw your own conclusions from that. Again, pretty poor.
1: Yeah. Well, at at the risk of levity here, I did endorse you in the Nationals vote to be president of an independent (laughs) Scotland. Uh, You did come third. You mean, you know, I mean, I, I won't, I won't, I won't embarrass you with it. But you did beat Andy Murray, uh, and congratulations to Andy Murray on. Although on, I
0: see that there was something like three votes cast or something. Oh
1: no, that was it was just under four thousand eventually. Oh really? It was no, weird the,
0: actually because I yeah. saw, I noticed that in the national and thought mm, if, I think if there were that few votes cast, I wouldn't yeah. really have run that as a story yet.
1: But no, <laughs> it,
0: it was it, it was three
1: thousand. Oh well, that's I, really very nice. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, and uh, I, I will say to you, I mean. Uh, People can take this with a pinch of salt or not if they haven't seen the result. Uh, With 55% top of the poll was Alex Salmond. And I think it was 30 odd percent for uh, Nicola Sturgeon. So that, those are, but there were only four, there were four choices, uh, Salmon, Sturgeon, yourself and Andy Murray. So, <laughs> but there you go. That was the, I think that was where the, the nominations came from okay, in, in terms of the, getting down to the final four. But there, and on a kind of cel- celebratory note, because we mentioned Gothenburg right at the start of the programme. And I'm often, I'm often accused of being, uh, having tangerine specs on, but I will turn around and say it was 1983 uh, this week where Aberdeen went to Gothenburg and defeated the mighty Real Madrid in extra time to win the European Cup Winners' Cup. So congratulations to the Dandy Dons. It was a great result. Um, and that was the season that um, I can't. The, the other half I knew from, Dundee United, States got the European Cup semi-final and were done out of it by a dodgy ref who had been bribed by Roma. So there you go. That
0: was forty. Of course, 40. you don't let these things go.
1: Do you? I d- oh God, no! You should see it. Trust me on it. It's a, it's a. I'll, I'll do this in Italian, but there's a, there's a banner flown at Tanadice that says a Roma Merda, and those of you who know Italian you know the translation of that. On on the, the fingers crossed hope that the Roma Merda doesn't get us banned for being explicit on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next week, chums.